Okay, well, we left off last week in the book of Galatians. We're going to continue in the book of Galatians. Book of Galatians, we left off in. We were in chapter number two. We're going to pick up one little bit in chapter two, and we're going to move on to chapter three tonight. <clears throat> Paul's been talking about... Um, the law and the fulfillment of the law. You've talked about Christ and where he fits into those things. We're going to continue on, and uh, it's an exciting part of the Bible. It's an interesting part. It was a part that Martin Luther, uh, when he was working to try to change the thought in the Catholic Church, and the Reformation time, this was one of his favorite books. I mean, it was, he loved this book. He loved all the things that it said, and he loved, he wrote entire commentaries just on this book. So there's a, there's a lot to be said about it, and it's deep. There's a lot of things that go on in each chapter, so we're going to dig into some of it. Sometimes you get a little wrapped around in the language, and that happens, uh, but we're going to try to straighten that out and try to understand the best we can um, these words of Paul as he writes to uh, the people in the area of Galatia. And remember, it's a region of Galatia. It's not a town like the town of Corinth okay, or the town of Philippi. It is a region, a whole section of churches and his second and first missionary journey. I think he went through the area of Galatia. And uh, Galatia was a series of churches. And so they'd take this letter and pass it around from church to church, talk about it, read it. Um, and they got a little shock with this. We're going to start tonight as we look into what he has to say with Galatians. So Galatians chapter 2, verse number 21, which is the very last verse of chapter 2. We're going to start there. Because it sort of kicks off the next chapter. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Okay? So he starts out with this. He's going to kick off something uh, extraordinary in the next verse or two. Uh, but he talks about Christ's death. And he says this. There's this battle happening between the law, and faith. And we're going to talk about that. What does it mean? As we look at what does the law, the Jewish law mean, and what does faith mean, and how do we grapple with both of, both of those? How does it make sense? Didn't God make the law? Yes, he made the law. Okay. Well, what about faith? Doesn't that matter in our, in our relationship with God? Absolutely it matters. So how do we put this all together in a picture? And why did God do what he did? He says here, if you're depending on the law, right? If you're depending on being righteous through the law, if you're saying, I'm going to make it by the law. This is going to be my pathway to God by the law. And he said, if you could actually get to heaven by the law, he says, Christ died in vain. It's like you don't even care about it. Why would he even bother to die for us if you could get there with the law? He says it's impossible to get 
there by obeying God enough. And it's not because the law is wrong. It's because we humans really mess it up. We start right out of the gate and we do a good job keeping up. Make it messing, a messing of things all along. From one thing to another, we make a mess of things. And so he says, why would God waste his time sending his only son to earth to die if he didn't need to? If there was another way, why would he waste his time? It's not what he wants to do. You're going to hold your finger in Galatians. We're going to flip over to Romans chapter 8. This is back to Romans chapter 8, verse number 31. This is a verse that is great to know, great to think about. 31 and 32 as we read these, really good to have in mind. When we get down on ourselves and we think, well, God doesn't really love me and God really doesn't want me to have the things that I should have and doesn't God know I want these things? Well, sometimes this is just a good verse to read. Verse 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Understand that God freely gave his son. Now you could read that, you can say that. Uh, It's easy to roll off your tongue if you've been speaking uh, about things in, uh, in the Christian church for a long time. You say, well, God freely gave his son But if you think about that for a moment, to give up your child, one and only son, I have one son, a little guy, and he's eight years old, and I can't think of a person in the world that I would say, well, I'd give up his life for him. I love a lot of people in this world, but I don't know that I could do that. That'd be a hard step to take. And Jesus was freely given by God. And sometimes we well, I don't have the things I want in my life. And it's just not working out the way I want it to work out. And I just have to wait so long for all this stuff. And God, Paul says, he's freely given you his son. Won't he freely give you everything? I mean, he gave the hardest thing to you. Don't you think he cares about those little things in your life as well? One child, if that's all you had to give up, and I don't care, I got four of them, and I still couldn't give one of them up, right? I still wouldn't give one of them up. (laughs) Some days, maybe, (laughs) more than others, but no, I... It truthfully, if you think about what that means and what that says to give up your son freely and say, I'm doing it because I love them. Right? That, that's an unbelievable thing to give up. When it goes into that thought and to say, I couldn't give him up. Much as I love everybody here, I, I, I would be hard pressed to think, yeah, I'd like to give him up to save that other person. 
That'd be a hard, a hard thought. So think about that. If you're saying that I got this all set, I'm a, I, I think I can be good enough to get it. That means that Christ's death just really means nothing to you. You, you just don't think it's good. It's not, not good enough. It doesn't cover the things you need. You would have liked a better way. I think God got it just right when he picked the way to give his own son up because it was the only way. And that's what Paul begins to look into and talk to the Galatians about. He says, you just don't understand how you're throwing God's grace away if you don't think that that means something incredible. That God gave his only son for you. If you say, eh, I don't really need that. I didn't really want it anyways. I didn't ask for it. I heard somebody say that the other day, that they talked to somebody and they said, oh, I didn't ask Jesus to die for me. Nope, I guess you didn't. But you probably need it more than you think you do. All right? So the next chapter, he starts out because he laid a bomb at the end and he's ready. He's going to go after him. Chapter 3 of the book of Galatians. Verse number 1, as we start out, O you foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. If you translate, O you foolish Galatians, it comes right out, idiots. Right? <laughs> That's what it comes out as. You idiots, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? He's a little bit frustrated with them. He says, I was out there and I painted this perfect picture. He says, I laid this perfect picture and a perfect understanding of Christ and his crucifixion. Here it is. He said, I painted like a poster with Christ and the crucifixion on it. And I told you what it was about. And I helped you understand it. And you all received it with grace. And it was wonderful. And now I'm hearing reports about you Galatians. That you have said, all of a sudden you said, well, you know, that faith stuff's fine. But I think we've got to follow the law. I think it's pretty important. In fact, I don't think you can get there without making sure you do that. You're really not one of us until you follow all the steps of the law. Now, last time you talked a little about, and we've talked more in the past about it, there were holidays to follow, right? There were rituals to follow, washing hands, things you were to do on the Sabbath day. There were things that you were to do on, on certain holidays, certain things you had to bring... Um, sacrifices to the temple. You had to go to the temple certain times of the year. There was a whole series of rituals and things that you had to do that were included in the law and the Ten Commandments, right? So if you just started at the Ten Commandments and looked at those, those are tough enough, but then other things were uh, added in. And then mankind took and threw a bunch of stuff on top of it. Right? They threw a bunch of stuff on top of it. But God created a law and said, here's what it is. I will not accept this. I only accept this. Okay? This is there, and I only accept that. And then go down the, the things. Thou shalt not murder. Right? 
Obey your parents. Treat them with honor. Right? Have no other gods before me. Shall not commit adultery. And we've talked about the things that Jesus talked about with the law and how it was much more about the condition of the heart. And what we find out is, wow, we really have messed up. Right? Time and time again, we find out the law, we can't live up to it. We can't live up to it. So here it is. He says, I've painted this perfect picture of Christ and you accepted him by faith. And now somebody came into your church and said, well, you really ought to follow this rule. If you're going to be a real Christian, you're going to have to follow this rule. You're going to have to do this. And back when, uh, back some time ago, and probably a lot of you remember this, I remember my grandparents had certain things they would not do because they were wrong. It was wrong. They were told, you can't do it, right? Can't dance because that's wrong, right? And you can't play cards because that's wrong, and you can't, there's a whole list of things you can't do. Now, I, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where they said that. In fact, I see where David did dance, right? And I see others that did. But when you take and you try to live by a set of rules, even as good as God made them originally, you'll find you just can't. You're always going to fall short of those rules. And he says, you guys are a bunch of idiots. I can't believe that you missed this because... I taught you something different. And then these other people came in and said, no, 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 we got rules. You got to follow it. You got to be circumcised. And you got to meet on Saturday. And you got to do this. And you can't go here. And you got to watch working too much. That's going to be no good. Right? Yet you have Christ coming in. And instead of Christ saying, don't work on the Sabbath, he said, you missed the point, right? The Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I made that to give you rest. I had a purpose behind that. That's why I did that, okay? The law was created, and we'll get into it a little more as we see. But here it is. I painted a perfect picture, and you missed it all. You lost it all. You missed the whole point. Verse number two, the only, this only would I learn of you. Receive ye the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, and you are now made perfect by the flesh? I don't know if you've ever heard this, right? If you ever watched the old Batman, Batman, Riddler came up, riddle me this, Batman, right? That's where he starts. Is, you mean to tell me, if there's one thing I want to ask you about, one thing, he says, only one thing I would learn of you, you teach me this, he says, right? Did you get the Holy Spirit by doing enough good things? Did you impress God enough that he came to live inside of you? Because I don't think that's what happened. Says, Tell me how that happened. 
Did you impress God enough that he said, whoa, that's a really holy one there. I want to live inside of that one. Because that's not how it seemed to work with me. He says, I don't remember that. Are you so foolish that you started off living by the Spirit and then you decided some of these works things are pretty good? They're pretty good. I'm going to live my life this way and I'm going to make sure I live in such a way that everything's perfect. And you can live your life in such a way to try your very best to do it. And you and me and all of us should do our very best to obey God. But don't think you're going to get to heaven or gain God's favor by doing enough good things. It just doesn't work that way. He won't be impressed by those few little measly things we do. Right? I'm not impressed by those things that we do. He said, you came and the whole thing that was happened to you, this transaction that happened when I was there, I told you about Christ, I told you about the cross, there was a transaction that happened between the Spirit of God and your spirit. You were dead. The Spirit of God came inside of you and started a work inside of you. And that is the beginning of salvation. It wasn't because you did enough good things. He says, and now you think the Holy Spirit came inside of you and now you're going to go around to tell people what's right and wrong. Careful, he says. Be careful of that. Be careful that you forget where you came from because you are making the death of Christ mean nothing. The grace of God mean nothing. If you think you can do enough and be good enough and get to good enough places to impress God. The law doesn't justify. The law brings demands. Right? The law brings demands. And we did a series on the Ten Commandments in, in the Sunday school class back well, a few months ago, I guess. It was a very convicting series for me. Teaching it, standing up, saying, oh, wow. But that's the point, right? It brings demands on you, and it helps you to see where you're short. More about that later. More about that later. You remember Mary and Martha, as they were with Jesus Christ... Mary was sitting on the ground listening. Jesus was talking and Martha was banging pots and pans, right? Because my sister's not helping me and I can't do this. And how come this and how come that? And finally, she reaches the boiling point. Because first it's just the cupboards and the pots and the pans in the back. And they're just sitting there. There's Jesus and there's Mary and they're just talking and they're just, oh, it's so wonderful. And Martha's like, I can't believe she's not doing that. She's not helping me. And the pots go louder and bang more. I don't know if everybody's ever slammed a cupboard so that they make sure everybody else knows how they feel. Maybe. I've done it. <laughs> just so you know, I'm frustrated about this, right? 
best communication <laughs> that we have in those moments, I guess. Finally, Martha gets to the boiling point, comes to Jesus and says, you have to make her help me. And Jesus says, Mary's chosen the better part. So we have to watch because Jesus, though he loved Martha dearly, says, this is not what it's about. You can't do enough good things to impress me. Come sit and talk with me. Come spend time with me. That's what I want. I want you and I to have a relationship. I don't need you banging pots and pans around because you want to make the perfect dinner. I just want you and I to have that connection, right? It's a little mini picture of what's the difference between works, the law, and faith, right? I got to do enough and I got to get there and I got to have enough and you're not helping me enough, right? Because you're never going to get enough. Faith is a different pathway. Paul just says, I can't believe you missed it. I had you. You were there. You got it. But now you missed it. Verse number 4. Galatians 3, verse 4. Have you suffered so many things in vain? If it be yet in vain, he therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. So he says to them, what is your experience? What is your experience? You've suffered things in your life. Did you do it all through this whole list of things? Or did you do it because you believed in God? Did you have a list that you kind of had to check off? Or was your real personal experience, when you had an encounter with God, was it because you were working really hard that day to impress him? Or was it because you were quiet and listening? Was it because your heart was open and ready? The real true encounters that we have with God sometimes are few in our life. I'm not a journal person. I've tried, and I'm not good at it, and that's just the truth. I don't love to sit down and write every day. But I do have a special place where I have written down over the last 30 years the intimate thoughts and moments that I've had, mostly struggles, not a lot of great victories, uh, but those little things and those simple phrases or words that I think I hear from the Spirit directly. I'll tell you, it's a short few pages for the last 30 years. But when I go back and I look at those pages, and sometimes it's a little phrase for a whole year, that might be what I have. Something I heard that I know I heard from the Lord, that I know meant that one's for you, you better pay attention. And I wrote it down, and I've gone back sometimes five years later, ten years later, six months later, 20, 30 years later, and said, yeah, he was faithful there. He pointed me there. He pointed me there. And it's sort of a tiny little, um, like little flags along the way of my life to say, yep, 
Yep, he did it, he did it, he did it. Your experience with God might rest in a very little condensed moment here, there, everywhere. You might be able to write those things down on a short page, those things that really inspire you. But those are the times and the things you know that's real. Right? That's my experience. It's real for me. I sit down when I'm not feeling it, when I'm not feeling like I'm going down the right track or I don't know what God wants me to do or I don't know if anything is what I'm, uh, that I'm doing anything right at the moment. And I sit down and I look at that and say, okay, he's been there. Or if I don't feel like God is right next to me, I got to look and say, yep, he's been there, he's been there, he's been there. That's my experience with God. None of that happened through trying to do things to impress God. Most of them, I have uh, one of those things that I wrote down with a whole bunch of bad things that happened to me in a series of time, in a short thing. And at the very end, because there was a, a season I was working to try to do something, and it was a super rainy season, and I had just like mud written down on there, right? And to you, it probably doesn't mean anything, but to me, it was great frustration in my life. And I couldn't make accomplishment. I couldn't do all this. And why aren't you helping me, God, do the things that I think you want me to do? And at the very end of that, it was sort of a thing I wrote on for a while. Little bits, little bits, little bits, and little bit. And I looked at it, and there was a little thing that said, God's promises in the rainbow. Because that was a moment where God finally said, okay, you've struggled, you've got it. <laughs> yeah. So when the Spirit works in you, He helps you to understand that He's doing things. He's working in your life. It's real. So what is your experience? Did this, did this happen because you were good enough? No, no, no. This happened because God came into you. The moment you had an experience with God, the moment you said, I am a sinner I accept you, and I don't know what you're going to do with me, God, but you say you're going to forgive me, so that's it. So the moment you accept that in, Holy Spirit comes inside of you and says, now let's get to work. Right? And it's slow and deliberate, sometimes slower than I want it to be, and then some moments faster than I want it to be. But those experiences should point you to the Spirit of God. Your personal experiences, the little things you've distilled down in your life. If you were to go back and check the mountain peaks or the, the valleys, it should point you to, yeah, God was there, God was there, God was there. He's still with me. I don't feel it every moment, but he's still with me. All right? And then I look at today and say, oh, oh, what another mess I've made. But then God taught me, yeah, I'll forgive you. I tried really hard, and I tried to do something better, and it just wasn't good enough. And God says, you don't have to be good enough. You're not coming to me good enough. You don't have to fix yourself up to get to me. The whole point is, I'm coming to you because the only way to change you is my Holy Spirit. That's it. That's the only way to do it. 
So he sees, uh, Paul says, you've seen miracles. Do you think that happened by works? No, the Spirit did those things. You look at the evidence in your life and say the Spirit, Spirit did those things. Verse number 6 in chapter number 3. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. And so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. All right. So Abraham believed, right? So if we sort of make a timeline here, this timeline is going to be important in just a few minutes. Abraham believed. And that was counted for his righteousness. All right? He believed, and that's what God looked down and said. That is a righteous man. He has the faith that I need him to have. And what were some of the promises he had? Right? I'll give you a son. Remember, he's old. Too old to have a son. No, no, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to bless you with a nation. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. It says it in there. Right? Everybody's going to be blessed. And I'm going to give you this promised land. Everywhere your foot touches, I'm going to give you that. Those are his major promises. Those are his distilled experiences with God. God says this, this, and this. And you can bet his whole lifetime he never forgot those words that God gave him. Those are his experiences. He gives them and he says, well, I believe it. I, don't, I can't see this son. I'm too old to have it. I don't live in this place. I'm just walking around. God's going to give me all this to all my people uh, that I don't have yet. And the na- not only am I going to have a son, but I'm going to have a nation through me. I'm old. Can't have a bunch of kids. Can't happen. So he still believed God. Those were his moments of faith along with probably many more that we don't know about. But those were his big moments of faith. And it says God counted that as righteousness. Just believed. Here's my promise to you. I'm going to do it. Okay. I believe it. Even though I can't see it, I believe it. All right? So God makes that promise, and he does all those things. Now, uh, verse number 10, understanding this, right? he's the very first one. And he is the beginning of that faith, sort of. We'll we'll fill in the blanks eventually here. Verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law uh, to do them. This is the way you've got to think about this. This is... You could say, well, we we could say, well, if you mess up on one little part of the law, then you can't go to heaven by being righteous. You can't have done the law. And you say, well, that's not very fair. One little thing, you're going to throw me out for that. We think about this, and if you think you had a gallon of water, and you were going to drink this gallon of water, 
You had to drink it. It was pure, clean water. There was nothing in it. It tasted wonderful. And you took one tiny drop of some sort of deadly bacteria and dropped it in there. Now it's yours to drink. Go ahead. He said, I'm not drinking that. Well, why not? It's just one little drop. All the rest of it's not. Well, because it's all bad now, right? That's, it's all. I wouldn't drink any of that. It's all ruined by that one little tiny droplet because of the nature of what you put in there. If you put it with sugar in there, it'd be different. But if you put a drop of some deadly bacteria, I'm good. I'm all set. And that's the way God is. Like, he can't have one little drop. When it's pure, which is what his law is, is pure and perfect, can't have one little thing. That's not okay. By its nature, it can't have it in there. Not that God's mean, but he just can't have that. Can't have the impure things in the perfectly pure. So God made another way. Sent his son to die for us that created that other way. Right? So he did that. Now let's go to verse 11 and 12. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. Right? We can't make it on our own works. The just shall live by faith. Okay? Faith is required, like Abraham. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Okay? So, it is here that you're stuck. You're either going to pick the law, and you're going to be stuck because you can't quite get the law right. Right? With our sinful nature, we mess it up every day. You give us another chance, we mess it up again. And we say, I'm never going to do that again. And we go back and we do it again. And you say, but this time I mean it, God. I'm not going to do that one. I really don't want to do that again. And we go back and it's like, man, what is wrong with me? I'll tell you what's wrong with us is we were, re- we were humans and we had sinful nature. And God is working in us from the spirit side out. Right? He came in on that day you had that first transaction with God. He worked and put the Holy Spirit in you. And he's working out through that spirit. He made your spirit alive. And now it's got to come out through that wonderful shining personality of ours. Right? That takes time. Because we've worked really hard to make that how it's nice and natural for us over the years. Right? Our, our anger just comes out. And our... our uh, humor comes out, and so does our sarcasm comes out, right? Those things come out. All of them come out naturally, and God is working in us patiently to say, there's an area I need you to work in. And he convicts us little by little, patiently. If he showed us what was wrong with us day one, I think we'd fall dead flat, right? We wouldn't know what to do because there's just so much. We don't think of ourselves like that. We think of ourselves as pretty good. Right? Not too bad. And God says, you don't even know what you're like. But I still came to forgive you. And I forgave you of all of it. You think you're pretty good. So you're going to, yep, I'm pretty good. I'm going along here. And boom, you fall and you fall and you fall and you fall again and again and again. Right? So here it is. The law can't redeem you. 
But then we become judgmental. That's what we do, right? That's when we start to follow the law, we think, I got this pretty good. And because I got it pretty good, I'm going to make sure I let other people know what they shouldn't be doing. It's funny how quick our mind goes there. And I wouldn't call myself a judgmental person, but I will say the other night, uh, and this is one of my uh, innermost thoughts I'll share with you. It's not a good one. The other night I was at a concert with some people, and at our table were people I knew, and then there was a young couple that came and sat down. And that young couple, uh, my wife talked to them, and a couple other people talked to them, and started learning about them. And we learned that they had a kid together. And then we learned that they're going to get married next year. And in my mind, right at that moment, is some sort of little judgmental thing that went, boop, what are you doing here? Like, where was that from? In my mind, and I didn't let it out, okay? <laughs> I'm going to tell you that because I knew that was a judgmental part on my, what do I have to say? And then God whacked me upside the head, inside my head, all quiet, and said, what do you have the right to come and say that they can't be here? What do you have? You think you're all righteous. Last week you were just admitting to me the things you did. Maybe not even last week, right? The things that you did wrong. You need to make sure you watch it. And that's what happens when we start to follow the law in our mind. Even in those moments, those little tiny moments, it is so easy for us to slip. And it's easy to say, oh, those Galatians were dummies. I can't believe it. They were such idiots. Paul called them idiots. They slipped right into that so easy. Watch it. Because it's easy for us to throw our judgment on other people. Say, well, I wouldn't do it that way. No, you wouldn't. You're right. Probably best that you just shut your mouth about the whole thing. That's probably best, right? And let God work inside where he needs to fix you and don't let it out until he's got that all set, that part of you. And if that takes 50 years, be a quiet person, okay? Because <laughs> it might, right? It might. It might take that long. All right. So here it is. Here we are. And we like to go over to the legalistic side. We're very, it's easy. Because when we get feeling good about ourselves and how Christianly we are, or however we want to call ourselves, and we look and we say, yeah, that person doesn't do what they're supposed to do. Why are they here? Well, they're here for the same reason I am. That's what Christ says. You come in by faith. You need me. Everybody else does too. You all stand at the same level. We're all sinners. Nobody made it by being perfect. Only Christ can do that. Nobody else made it. So we'll watch what we say. All right? We watch what we say. Verse number 13 Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. It is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. All right? So here's what we need to understand, right? Christ took the curse. This law 
serves to bring demands. And it curses anybody who can't stand up. So that's everyone, right? We can't accomplish it. So every one of us comes in and we're cursed. And if you don't think so, try to live under it for a while. Try to achieve it. Try to make sure you don't do everything right. And while you're doing, make sure you read Jesus' mount on the sermon and get all those little things about what he says about treating other people right and about adultery and about all the struggles. Hatred. It's not just about murder. It's about what you're thinking in your heart. Read that part, too, and see if you got it. Because I guarantee none of us have it when it comes to it. Living under that creates a curse. Because we fail, and we fail, and we fail. Right? So Jesus took the curse by hanging on a tree. It says everybody that hangs on a tree, so he's crucified. Right? He takes the curse on him, and because he does that, Jesus, through the curse brings life to us. All right? So he's in the line of Abraham. And this is what they're saying. Abraham believed. By faith, he was counted righteous. Now Jesus was righteous and by cursing, by taking the curse on him, was able to bring righteousness out to mankind bring righteousness out to mankind. And so, Jesus takes the punishment, but none of this happened by the law. So where does the law fit in? Well, when it comes down to it, we as humans are the offending party. God is the offended party, right? He's the perfect one. We're the ones that's not so perfect, right? So Jesus does not offend, and he's able to fill this gap in because he doesn't offend. He's never offended the law. He's always done perfectly. He's never thought poorly about anybody. He's always thought rightly about people. He's always thought lovingly about people. I can't say I've always has, always have. I wish I have, but I can't say I have. But Christ is able to reverse this and, put, and bring out to mankind. So the promise was that all the seeds of mankind would be blessed through Abraham. And Abraham says, I believe it. I don't see it, but I believe it. And it happens through Jesus. It happens because of his belief He's able to keep that in his line. Now, let's go to verse number 19 and 20. Wherefore then serveth the law, it was added because transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. So, like I said, Jesus didn't offend. The only way that the law is made right and everything is put right is because Jesus is the sacrifice, right? So he fulfills the law. You talked about that last week a little bit. All the law's demands are taken care of through him, and because of that, he now sends out to mankind, right? And he mediates between that offended God, right? Because the law says, you're offend, you offend God. I offend God. That's what the law says. Right? 
He says he mediates between God and man. He is the go-between, the stand-in-between, the one that says, I've got them covered. My righteousness covers them. My blood covers them. So I've got them covered. All those humans, rascally as they might be, I've got them covered if they will believe. Okay? So this line begins with Abraham, and it it begins with a faith. Now, verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. So is the law at odds with God? This seems to be like popping up here, right? This law is in here. Abraham believed. And you see that, and that was a long, long time ago. Where's the law come in place? Was it here? No, law didn't come in until here. Moses brings the law. In fact, Abraham has his sons, his son Isaac. Isaac then has son, his son Jacob, who is Israel. Israel then has his 12 sons, which create the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those is Judah. Judah then has a whole series of people that comes out uh, in his lineage, and that be, that's where Jesus comes from. Okay? But all of those people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of those people happen way before Moses ever comes along. In fact, Israel is in bondage for 400 years in Egypt. No law. What do they do? I thought the law was really important. What's the point of the law? Isn't that the thing that started from the very beginning? Wasn't the law the, the concept on which everything was built? Not really. See, if you go back, and I told you we'd go back a little further, right? Abraham is, is way early in Genesis, but there are others even further back. You can go back to a guy named Job. Go back to a guy named Enoch. Learn about him, right? Go back to a guy named Noah. These guys didn't have the law. You go back to a guy even further back, to a guy named Abel. Right? And then finally to the very first man named Adam. And what was he told? I will send you a redeemer. Through a hero born of woman will come and crush the serpent with his heel. That's out of you, Adam and Eve. Right? He's coming. That's the very first promise. And the just shall live by faith. So from the very beginning, and the way beginning, and and Paul talks about this in Hebrews with the heroes of Hebrews, and we talk about faith throughout. Faith was the beginning of the core of what this was. So many people lived all the way up until Moses brought the law. So why does the law exist? Why does the law exist? That's the big question. Verse number 22. But the scripture, or the law, hath concluded all under sin. Okay? Everybody's a sinner, it says. You read the scripture, you'll find that out. That the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Okay? The law's job 
is to condemn us. God didn't start it in the beginning. God put it in here, the law with Moses, to show us something. Right? Always was it, the just shall live by faith. All the way up through, and right up to Jesus, and he spreads it out from Abraham's promise all the way up through. He, he is blessing all of mankind through his death and his resurrection. Verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under the law. Okay? Before faith in Jesus Christ came, we were kept under the law. Shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that, the faith has come. We are no longer under the schoolmaster for you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. The reason the law was here, the reason that it was put in there was as a schoolmaster. Right? And if you think of that, old-style schoolmaster, right? He's standing over you. I know my grandfather used to go to school in Norway, and when they walked into the classroom, the kids had to bow to the teacher. Try that today, right? But that was the idea. They had to have respect because that schoolmaster was going to keep them in line. And if they didn't, they were going to get beaten or kept after school. I mean, it, all, all things were on. The schoolmaster is to teach you something regardless of the pain. And that is what the law's job is. It is our schoolmaster to say, guess what? When you think you've got it all set, why don't you go read it again? Because you've missed some. And actually, you missed a whole lot. It is to show us how sinful we really are. That's what it is to do. It teaches us that we need a redeemer. It teaches us we can't do it on our own. It teaches us, and we go right back and think we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. Pretty quick, we do. After we're down on our knees asking for God's forgiveness, it doesn't take long, but we're feeling pretty good. Life was good, and I got a few good things, and I'm feeling good about myself, and I go back and... The point of it is to show us you are not. You are in need of redemption. You have been redeemed by Christ, but don't think you've achieved something on your own after, after Christ did all this. Christ did it all, not me. If there's anything good that I can offer to anybody, it's to point and say, God did it. If I look and say, yeah, I'm pretty good at that. Not, not a good pathway to go. Not a good pathway. Not a good pathway. You can be grateful for a lot of things in your life, but when you have an attitude and you start saying, well, I'm, I'm pretty good, go back and check yourself out with a schoolmaster and say, maybe not. Maybe I didn't do as well as I thought I did in life. Right? So it is to drive us to Jesus to say, I can't do it without the Spirit of God. I can't do it without Jesus in my life. I can't do it. I'm, I'm hopeless without it. That's the point of the law. That's why God put it in there. These people are going to be stubborn. He knew it. It's always been by faith. You believe God's promises, 
your personal promises he gives to you and all the promises of salvation and a home in heaven and all those things, promises I will be with you even to the end of the world. Believe it. And by faith you will be counted righteous. That's it. I believe what he says. And if he says I forgive you, then believe it. It's gone. I'm going to drop it and I'm going to pick back up and move on with my life and not wallow in my own self-pity for a while. Because that can be something that we, we lose sight of too. It's to teach us how, how we really are and to say, you need a redeemer. Go to Christ. That's why you need it. Let's finish that chapter up, chapter, uh, uh, verse number 27. For as many as you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed by faith, right? And heirs according to the promise. So you are the inheritance of Abraham. He said all nations would be blessed through, through uh, Abraham. God said that. And there it is. You are part of that promise if you believe. You're part of the family. You're part of the line. Put your name down there. You believe in faith. That's part of that line. Right? Because Christ has forgiven you, if you believe, if you ask him, he says, I'll do it. All you do is confess it to me. He says, and I will forgive you. I'll be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and bring you in all righteousness. I'm going to do that for you. You become an heir. Now it says there that you uh, put on baptism or as you have been baptized into Christ. Now baptism we do is a symbol of what he's talking about here. Being baptized is something where you go down in with Christ, right? And you come up different. You change. The Holy Spirit comes in you and changes you. you uh, I went swimming a whole lot in my life. And it's not going under the water. That's the miracle part. It's what God did inside. That's the miracle, right? I've done a lot of other things, but it's God's touch in my heart that makes me different. And so when he says, you're baptized in Christ, it is him offering a new thing. On Sunday morning, we sing a song sometimes, and I don't know that any, everybody knows it, or, or you've probably heard us sing it. We sing about two coats were before me, an old and a new. I asked my sweet master, what must I do? The first coat was tattered, uh, all tattered and torn, ugly and tattered and torn. The other, a new coat, had never been worn. I'll tell you the best thing I ever did do. Took off the old coat, put on the new. That is what being baptized in Christ is. His righteousness. Nothing you did. Yours is all filthy and torn and tattered. And he says, I got a new one for you. That's yours. By faith, I give you this new one. Because you know and you're learning who you are. And it's pretty disappointing. But I'm not. And I'm going to come in you and I'm going to stay with you. And I'm going to build a relationship with you. And I'm, going to say, I'm not leaving you. Don't think I'm going to. I won't let you go. I'm going to keep you, even though you want to wriggle away from me sometimes. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to hold on to you because this is us together into eternity. 
I got something new for you. I'm going to teach you how to wear it. I'm going to show you what to do with it. Right? Tell you the best thing I ever did do. Took off the old coat, put on the new. And so, praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. He gives us the opportunity that he did that. That it is by faith. That it always was by faith. But he does this thing to teach us and help us to see who we really are. And that's what Paul is trying to say. You foolish Galatians, you think you can do this. You can't do it. You never could do it. You can only do it by by faith in Christ. That's it. That's your opportunity. Next week we continue on. Thank Thank you.